The Pendant Shakespeare presents The Rape of Lucrece, Part 4. the poor frighted deer that stands at gaze, wildly determining which way to fly, or one encompassed with a winding maze that cannot tread the way out readily, so with herself is she in mutiny, to live or die which of the twain were better, when life is shamed and death reproaches debtor. To kill myself, quoth she, alack, what were it, but with my body my poor soul's pollution, they that lose half with greater patience bear it than they whose whole is swallowed in confusion. That mother tries a merciless conclusion, who, having two sweet babes when death takes one, will slay the other and be nursed to none. My body or my soul, which was dearer, when the one pure, the other made divine, whose love of either to myself was nearer, when both were kept for heaven and collatine. Hi me, the bark pilled from the lofty pine, his leaves will wither and his sap decay, so must my soul her bark being pilled away. Her house is sacked, her quiet interrupted, her mansion battered by the enemy, her sacred temple spotted, spoiled, corrupted, grossly engirt with daring infamy. Then let it not be called impiety. If in this blemished fort I make some hole through which I may convey this troubled soul. Yet die I will not till my collatine have heard the cause of my untimely death, that he may vow in that sad hour of mine revenge on him that made me stop my breath. My stained blood to Tarquinal be creased which by him tainted shall for him be spent, and as due writ in my testament. My honour I'll bequeath unto the knife that wounds my body so dishonoured. Dishonour to deprive dishonoured life. The one will live, the other being dead, so of shame's ashes shall my fame be bred, for in my death I murder shameful on. My shame so dead, mine honour is newborn. Dear Lord, of that dear jewel I have lost, what legacy shall I bequeath to thee? My resolution, love, shall be thy boast, by whose example thou revenged mayst be. How Tarquin must be used, read it in me. Myself thy friend will kill myself thy foe, and for my sake serve thou, Faust Tarquin, so. This brief abridgment of my will I make, my soul and body to the skies and ground. My resolution, husband, do thou take. Mine honour be the knife that makes my wound. My shame be his that did my fame confound. And all my fame that lives dispersed be. To those that live and think no shame of me. Thou, 
that I shalt oversee this world, how was I overseen that thou shalt see it? My blood shall wash the slander of mine ill, my life's foul deed, my life's fair end shall free it. Faint not, faint heart, but stoutly say, so be it. Yield to my hand, my hand shall conquer thee. Thou dead, both die, and both shall victors be. This plot of death when sadly she had laid, and wiped the brinish pearl from her bright eyes. With untuned tongue she hoarsely calls her maid, whose swift obedience to her mistress hies. For fleet-winged duty with thought's feathers flies, all Lucrece's cheeks unto her maid seem so, as winter's meads when sun doth melt their snow. Her mistress she doth give demure good morrow, with soft slow tongue, true mark of modesty, and sorts a sad look to her lady's sorrow. For why her face wore sorrow's livery, but durst not ask of her audaciously, why her two sons were cloud eclipsed so, nor why her fair cheeks are washed with woe. But as the earth doth weep, the sun being set, each flower moistened like a melting eye, even so the maid with swelling drops can wet, her circled eye enforced by sympathy of those fair suns set in her mistress's sky, who in a salt-waved ocean quench their light, which makes the maid weep like the dewy night. A pretty while these pretty creatures stand, like ivory conduits coral cisterns filling. One justly weeps, the other takes in hand, no cause but company of her drops spilling. Their gentle sex to weep are often willing, grieving themselves to guess at each other's smarts, and then they drown their eyes or break their hearts. For men have marble, women waxen minds, and therefore are they formed as marble will. The weak oppressed, the impression of strange kinds is formed in them by force, by fraud or skill. Then call them not the authors of their ill, no more than wax shall be accounted evil, when in his stamp the semblance of a devil. Their smoothness, like a goodly champagne plain, lays open all the little worms that creep in men, as in a rough-grown grove remain, cave keeping evils that obscurely sleep. Through crystal walls each moat will peep. Though men can cover crimes with bold stern looks, poor women's faces are their own false books. No man inveigh against the withered flower, but chide rough winter that the flower hath killed. Not that devoured, but that which doth devour is worthy blame. Oh, let it not be healed, poor women's faults that they are so fulfilled with men's abuses. Those proud lords to blame make weak made women tenants to their shame. The precedent whereof in Lucrece's view, Assailed by night with circumstances strong, Of present death and shame that might ensue, By that her death to do her husband wrong, Such danger to resistance did belong, That dying fear through all her body spread, And who cannot abuse a body dead? By this mild patience bid fair Lucrece speak, To the poor counterfeit of her complaining, my girl, quoth she, on what occasion break those tears from thee that down thy cheeks are raining? 
If thou dost weep a grief of my sustaining, no gentle wench, a small avails my mood. If tears could help, mine own would do me good. But tell me, girl, when went, and there she stayed, till after a deep groan, Tarquin from hence? Madam, ere I was up, replied the maid, the more to blame my sluggard negligence. Yet with the fault I thus far can dispense, myself was staring ere the break of day, and ere I rose was Tarquin gone away. But lady, if your maid may be so bold, she would request to know your heaviness. Oh, peace, quoth Lucrece. If it should be told, the repetition cannot make it less. For more it is than I can well express, and that deep torture may be called a hell, when more is felt than one hath power to tell. Go, get me hither paper, ink, and pen, yet save that labour, for I have them here. What should I say one of my husband's men? Be thou ready by and by to bear a letter to my lord, my love, my dear. Bid him with speed prepare to carry it. The cause craves haste, and it soon will be writ. Her maid is gone, and she prepares to write, first hovering o'er the paper with her quill. Conceit and grief and eager combat fight. What wit says down is blotted straight with will. This is too curious good, this blunted ill, much like a press of people at the door. Throng her inventions which shall go before. At last she thus begins. Thou worthy lord, of that unworthy wife that greeteth thee, health to thy person next vouchsafe to afford, if ever love thy reprise thou wilt see. Some present speed to come and visit me, so I commend me from our house in grief. My woes are tedious, though my words are brief. Here falls she up the tenor of her woe, her certain sorrow writ uncertainly. By this short schedule, color time may know her grief, but not her grief's true quality. She dares not thereof make discovery, lest he should hold it her own gross abuse, as she with blood has stained her stained excuse. Besides the life and feeling of her passion she whores to spend when he is by to hear her. When sighs and groans and tears may grace the passion of her disgrace, the better so to clear her from that suspicion which the world might bear her. To shun this blot, she would not blot the letter with words till action might become them better. To see such sights moves more than hear them told, for then the eye interprets to the ear the heavy motion that it doth behold. When every part a part of woe doth bear, tis but a part of sorrow that we hear. Deep sounds make lesser noise than shallow chords, and sorrow ebbs being blown with wind of words. Her letter now is sealed, and on it writ, at our dear to my lord, with more than haste. The post ascends, and she delivers it, charging the sour-faced groom to hie as fast as lagging fowls before the northern blast. Speed more than speed, but dull and slow she deems. Extremity still urgeth such extremes. The homely villain curses to her low, and blushing on her with a steadfaster eye, receives the scroll without yea or no, and forth with bashful innocence doth hide. 
But they whose guilt within their bosoms lie, imagine every eye beholds their blame, for Lucrece thought he blushed to see her shame. When silly groom got what, it was defect, a spirit, life, and bold audacity. Such harmless creatures have a true respect to talking bees, while others saucily. Promise more speed, but do it leisurely. Even so, this pattern of the worn-out age pawned honest looks, but laid no words to gauge. His kindled beauty kindled her mistrust that two red fires in both their faces blazed. She thought he blushed as knowing Tarquin's lust, and blushing with him, wistfully on him gazed. Her earnest eye did make him more amazed. The more she saw the blood his cheeks replenish, the more she thought he spied in her some blemish. But long she thinks till he return again, and yet the beauteous vessel scarce is gone. The weary time she cannot entertain, for now tis stale to sigh, to weep and groan. So woe hath wearied, woe moan, tired moan, that she her place a little while doth stay, pausing for means to mourn some newer way. At last she calls to mind where hangs a piece of skilful painting made for Priam's Troy. Before the witch is drawn the power of Greece, for Helen's raped the city to destroy. Threatening cloud kissing Ilion with annoy, which the conceited painter drew so proud, as heaven it seemed kissed the terrors bowed. A thousand lamentable objects there in scorn of nature, art gave lifeless life. Many a dry drop seemed a weeping tear shed for the slaughtered husband by the wife. The red blood reeked to show the painter's strife, and dying eyes gleamed forth their ashy lights, like dying coals burnt out in tedious nights. There might you see the laboring pioneer, begrimed with sweat and smeared all with dust. Now from the towers of Troy there would appear the very eyes of men through loopholes thrust, gazing upon the Greeks with little lust. Such sweet observance in this work was had, that one might see those far-off eyes look sad. In great commander's grace and majesty you might behold triumphing in their faces, in youth quick bearing and dexterity, and here and there the painter interlaces, pale cowards marching on with trembling paces, which heartless peasants did so well resemble, that one would swear he saw them quake and tremble. by William Shakespeare Part 4 Read by David Alexander MacDonald Original music and direction by David Alexander MacDonald Appendant audio production Thank you very much for listening
For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.